Well, good morning. <clears throat> I'll take it. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny, Jackson and I were talking before uh, Bible study started, before he and Bridget and Sarah got up here to, to get ready for worship, and he was like, okay, what? Trying to decide on that fourth song, and, and uh, he was thinking about Captain. I said, that's actually the song I was having in my head too, is it just fits where we are right now um, and looking at the miracles and maybe where you are in life. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to make your way to the Gospel of John chapter 6. We're in the series, The Miracles of Jesus According to John, and meaning according to John's Gospel, what John was led by God to put into the Gospel so we can understand who Jesus is as He came to reveal God and to make God known and, and also reveals our relationship with God and how God interacts in our life, man, it is, it is such an awesome thing to think that this all-powerful God, all-knowing God, is a relational God. He wants to be invested in your life and for us to be invested in this relationship. Um, so we're going to be in John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. We're actually going to begin in verse 15 this morning. Um, last week we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, and you may be familiar with that story and the story today of Jesus walking on the water um, each gospel, except for the gospel of Luke, contains Jesus walking on water. Many of us are probably more familiar with Matthew's recording of the event. As Matthew speaks of Peter getting out of the boat and walking out and then eventually sinking like the rock that his name kind of implied. But um, in, in Mark and in John, we have this story of Jesus walking on water. There's no mention of Peter getting out of the boat, but what there is a consistency is, is each gospel writer understood that this event happened immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. And, and all three of them tie the, the significance of this event of Jesus walking on that water to what happened in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus wasn't just feeding a multitude of people for the sake of feeding a multitude of people, but it was a lesson that the disciples were to learn from that. And what we find in Scripture is that they did not. Mark tells us in verse 52 of chapter 6 that the disciples' hearts were hardened. That word is an interesting phrase in having a hardened heart. It speaks of being blind to the things of God and at times being opposed to the things of God. And we know that disciples were not opposed to Jesus. They weren't opposed to God doing what God was doing. But it does let us know that they were blind to what God was fully wanting to do in their life, just as we can become blind to what God is fully wanting to do in our life. And so as Jesus begins to wrap up the feeding of 5,000, we're going to pick up in verse 15 of chapter 6 in the Gospel of John. And let's begin. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. And a high wind arose, and the sea began to turn. And after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid, but he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him aboard, and at once the boat was at shore and where they were heading. Again, as we read through this, we're given some insights. Uh, in verse 15, as these things are tied together, we're, we're told that Jesus dismisses his disciples 
partly because of what the crowd wanted to do with Jesus. They wanted Jesus to become their king, speaking of an earthly king. We kind of wrapped up the message last year or last week dealing with that, that Jesus didn't come to be an earthly kingdom or to build an earthly king or to build an earthly kingdom. He came to be an eternal king and to set God's kingdom into the hearts of his people. And so as he begins excusing the disciples, the other gospels let us know that Jesus takes care of the crowd and eventually lets them go and to the point where he goes up onto the mountain to be alone with God, to talk with God. The sea here is the Sea of Galilee. The Gospel of John calls it the Sea of Tiberias at times. And if we had a map, what you could see in the sea is about 10 miles from south to north and about seven miles from east to west. Many believe the feeding of the 5,000 happened on the south side of the sea. And so Capernaum uh, was up on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they would have had about 10 miles traveling on the boat across the sea to do to Capernaum. Um, there are some issues that we should probably deal with if you're reading through the Gospels. And I like... I like going through the Gospels and reading like how each Gospel writer was led by the Spirit to give us the, the event that happened. Um, but there are some issues. Uh, Matthew simply tells us in this event that the disciples are simply wanting to get to the other side. They doesn't give an exact location, but they're just going across. Jesus tells them to go. The Gospel Mark tells us that the disciples were told by Jesus to get into the boat and to cross over to Bethesda, not Capernaum like what we're told here in the Gospel of John. Bethesda was about north, uh, five miles northeast of Capernaum. And what we can know is the disciples didn't make it to Capernaum or Bethesda, but why the difference? We have to understand that the Gospels and the Bible as a whole is not written as like a historical book, a geographical book, or even a scientific book. Um, so a lot of times we may say, you know, I'm going to Springfield, right? Well, there's many places that could apply when I'm going to Springfield. If you meet someone who is from St. Louis or Kansas City, they may say to you, I live in Kansas City or St. Louis, when actually they could live in like Arnold or Lee Summit or Blue Springs and things like that. It's just giving that geographical location. Most likely what the writers are doing are telling us that the geographical location that they were heading to was Capernaum or Bethesda, most likely wanting to visit both those places and they plan to come ashore one of the two and then and go about doing the ministry. What we do know for sure is they made it to neither one. Uh, they, they did not make it to either one. As a matter of fact, they end up landing in a place called Genesaret, which is actually five miles south of Capernaum and 10 miles south of Bethesda. And so they didn't meet, make it to where they wanted to go and we can take a lesson from this as we're reading through the Gospels is that without Jesus, we'll never be who we need to be and never get to where we need to be. The disciples were out on the water and they were stuck. And I think Jackson kind of set this up perfectly because maybe you're here this morning and that's where you're feeling. You're just kind of stuck. Disciples did get some things accomplished. I mean, we got to give them that. They got the boat on the water. They got into the boat and they got out into the water. The Bible says they got about three or four miles out into the water, which if they were going south to north, they didn't even get halfway to where they're supposed to be going. Even if they're going east to west, they only got about halfway. But they only got half the distance, even though, think about the disciples. There's at least four disciples we know for sure that are, are familiar with this sea. They were fishermen on this sea. They were familiar with the boats. They were familiar with the storms that would come along. And yet these disciples, no matter their experience, no matter the resources they had, no matter what they knew and how they knew about going to do it, they couldn't get to where they wanted to go. 
And that's the way it goes for our life. That's the way it goes for the life of the church. That's the way it goes for your relationships and your marriages and your family. If Jesus is not in it, you will never be what you need to be and never get to where you need to go. You'll simply be stuck. They were rowing. They were trying to get to the place they wanted to be, but they could not get there. The Bible tells us in John 15, 5, Jesus declares, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And I want to bring this up because here this Wednesday, we are going to launch Wednesday Night Live yet once again. And with our experience with Wednesday Night Live, we have many people here involved in teaching and helping out in the kitchen and keeping the facilities secure or picking up kids and dropping them off or just cooking the food. We can do all that stuff. We, we, we've got the experience. We've got the resources. We can do all that stuff. But if we're not putting Jesus front and center, if we're not remaining in Jesus and remaining in his word, then all we're doing is, is accomplishing nothing. Jesus has to be front and center. Jesus has to be the guiding force. He has to be the captain. He has to be what people see. He has to be what, what people experience. And that begins by us individually remaining in Christ. Jesus says, you can't do anything without me. You can put on all the ministries, you can put on all the activities, you can give out all the food, you can give out all the prizes and all the toys and have all the fun, but if I'm not in that, you've accomplished nothing. And so we can be familiar with church life, we can be familiar with church ministries, but if Jesus is not in the boat, if he's not guiding and leading and we're not remaining attached to him, we're really just struggling. We're not being fully to what God wants us to be. And this doesn't just go for Wednesday Night Live. You know, we got the Valentine's banquet coming up. I know it's really just a time where we think about coming together and eating and being together with people we love and things like that. But the reality is we want it to be more than that. We want the love of God to be experienced. And so with the Valentine's banquet, it's got to be Jesus has got to be in that. The people that are putting it together have to be remaining to Jesus so that Jesus' presence in the Spirit and God can be experienced in that moment. Come to Bible studies or to preaching or, or come to worshiping even fellowshipping in any other time, if Jesus isn't in that, then we're not accomplishing anything or, or what God wants us to accomplish. We're simply creating noise. We're simply splashing in the water. Vacation Bible School is another one. How many of us grew up in Vacation Bible School? So familiar with the idea of what you should do. You know, it usually happens five days, a couple hours, and you do games and Bible study and crafts and recreation. But, you know, we can get in a routine of ministry and things we do at the church that we simply just do it, and we don't allow God to have, its way, have his way with it. We simply are putting ourselves and our efforts and our resources out front and center, not saying, okay, God, here we are, and we can't get to where it needs to go without you here. It goes for our church. It goes for our marriages. It goes for us parenting our kids. We can get all the resources, all the world resources that are at our fingertips. We can go to all the classes, all the Dave Ramsey stuff. We can do all that stuff. But if we're not remaining in Christ, then we're really not accomplishing what God wants to do in our relationship, in our finances, in our kids. And we're simply stuck out on the water. Question I have, and I like to ask questions when I'm studying the Bible and preparing for things is, okay, Jesus is God, right? He's God in the flesh. He came to reveal God, so therefore he has the same attributes, characteristics of God, meaning he's all-knowing. And if Jesus knew his disciples would get into that boat and get out three or four miles out on the water and then get stuck, why in the world did he send them? They're out there, probably aggravated, probably frustrated, probably tired. 
I mean, that's just a cruel joke, isn't it? Hey, guys, why don't you cross sea? By the way, you're not going to make it. But I'll meet you on the other side. The gospel tells us that Jesus excused his disciples when he came to realize what the crowd, the multitude, the 5,000 were wanting to do with him. They wanted him to make him king. And I believe Jesus excused the disciples to protect them from the worldly matters. But I, I think they probably caught a glimpse of it. And there's excitement in the air. The people were excited about Jesus. They were excited about what he was doing. And, and we have 5,000 men that are counted. That's not including women and children. This is a multitude. I mean, this is a great time, Jesus, to start a ministry. This is a great time, Jesus, to, to plant a church. This is a great time. Man, let's, let's ride this thing. Let's, let's go. Let's do it. But Jesus says, no, I want you all to go across and I'll meet you. And I think that's hard in life at times when, when God tells us to move, but the realization is that God moves us to protect us. And sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it's not what we want. Sometimes it's not what we expect to happen or, or what we even pray about happening. But we may not be aware of what is on the horizon or even what's underneath the surface, but God is. And so in our life, we experience those struggles where we experience friendships that fall apart. We experience relationships that end. We, we experience jobs that get terminated and, and people move away. And sometimes, sometimes we just don't get what we want or what we've been praying for God to do. And you know what? These are all part of life. But the bigger picture is this. There is a God that is protecting his children and his hand is actively involved and in upon his children. And though we may not see what is coming, though we may not see what is, is heading our way, God does. And because God loves us, God sometimes protects us in the way of moving us out of those situations. Sometimes he moves people out of our lives. And though it is heartbreaking, it is for our good. The Bible says that God has nothing but good for his children. Nothing but the best, nothing but their welfare in mind. And that may not always be comfortable. I doubt the disciples were comfortable on that boat. Stuck there. I doubt many of them were singing hallelujah. I mean, you ever been stuck in traffic? Stuck at the grocery store? Is it that moment you're turning to God? Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. I, I bet they were aggravated. It was hard. It was unpleasant. It wasn't going according to their plans or their schedules. But the reality is, is there's a bigger picture. We are loved by an all-knowing God an all-powerful God who takes care of his children. And sometimes the way God takes care of us may not be as comfortable as we want, but it is always going to be for our good. My time in life, I've witnessed people be resistant to God moving them or moving their family or moving decisions that they've been making that have put them in situations they are. And, and a lot of times I see families fall apart. I see marriages break up. I see people lose their jobs. I see people dig themselves into debt, all trying to manage themselves and not allowing to, themselves to remain in Christ, remain in God's word and allow God to lead them. The disciples were stuck. They weren't going anywhere. And where's Jesus at? He's back on the shore talking with God, but the scriptures also let us know he is fully aware of their situation. He's a fully aware of what is going on in their life, and there's a purpose to it. 
We need to understand as Jesus looked upon his disciples that God looks upon our lives in the midst of struggles that we may be going through. And here's the reality. God will never put us in a situation that he cannot handle. Do not say that we can't handle. You know, if it were up to us, we'd always put ourselves in situations that were comfortable. Things that we knew we could do because nobody here likes to fail. Nobody here likes to be uncertainty. Nobody here willingly goes into storms of life. We would always make sure that we're in our nice little comfortable bubble. But what we see in Scripture, sometimes God moves us to move us out of our comfortability, out of our, our comfort zone, out of our little bubble. And when he does that, when God churns up the waves and he churns up the wind. You know what we have to do in that moment? We have to realize that I can't do this, but he can. The problem is many people, they come to that understanding that the winds and the storms are coming in life. And instead of understanding that I can't do this, what they do is they try to get themselves out of it. Instead of turning to God's word and God's wisdom and allowing God to guide them to where they need to be, they try to figure this out. Well, I'll just come up with a plan. I just got to do this better. I got to work harder. I got to be a better person. I got to give more to the church or be more involved or, or whatever it is. And God says, no, you can't. Sometimes God is going to put you and I in situations where we simply have to say, I cannot do this. I'm stuck. I'm not going anywhere. No matter how hard I work, I'm not making any momentum. I'm simply stuck. It goes for your spiritual life. The Bible says God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with each temptation, temptation, he will also provide a way out so you may be able to bear it. I've learned in my own experiences and I see it in the word of God. Sometimes God puts us in situations because he has to do some heart work. Heart work. He's got to work on our hearts. He's got to bring us back to what this is all about. See, it wasn't about the disciples. And it's not about Pastor Mike. It's not about any sort of committee or team that we have here at this church. It is about putting God front and center. And sometimes we have to be humble and we have to get uncomfortable because when we realize that it is out of our control and out of our hands, then we only have one place we can take it. And I say, okay, God, you do what only you can do. And I love this. I mean, I mean, we've read this story before, right? Jesus walking out on water. Ah, man, again, just reminds me of God's sense of humor. I mean, well, Jesus sitting up there on the mountain looking out, seeing the disciples straining in the waters and the storms coming in life. And Jesus like, well, what should I do? I know. I'm going to walk out to him. That'll be awesome. That'll be a good prank. Because it says when he shows up, they're scared to death. They, some churches say they think it's a ghost. That word ghost is not like a ghost hunters or ghost tours or anything like that. The word ghost means a, man, a, a human form manifestation that cannot be identified. So it's like a U-H-O, unidentified human object. Um, and so Jesus comes walking out on water. And do you notice that Jesus doesn't need a boat? Jesus doesn't need a sail. Jesus doesn't need oars or things to row the boat. Jesus just simply walks out to them. And what we need to understand in those places we want to go as a church, those places you want to go in your relationships, those places you want to go with your kids, those places you want to go as a family, is that God does not need what we need to get what he needs accomplished. God doesn't need our resources. God doesn't need our talents and our abilities, but God invites us to be a part of it. 
And God can do anything. And Jesus goes out there, and there's an interesting verse there in 21. Jesus speaks to him in his eye, don't be afraid. And then they say they were willing to take him on board. Well, duh, it's Jesus, right? <laughs> what do you mean you're willing? But here's the thing. We may be here this morning, we're just like the disciples. We're stuck. We're in the midst of a storm, in the midst of the struggles. We're trying everything we can to get out from under in any way we can to make headway. But like the disciples, what we really need to understand is all we need to do is be willing to let God on board. The word they were willing means they, were, they surrendered the boat to Jesus. They understood they couldn't do what needed to be done. And maybe that's where you are in life. And you just come down, I've got to surrender this to Jesus. I've got to surrender this to the Word of God. And there's things in the Word of God that may not make sense to me and I may not like and I may struggle with. But the reality is, if God loves me and is for me and nothing it can be against me because He is for me and nothing can be against Him, then I'm going to trust this God in the midst of my storms, in the midst of my struggles, and I'm going to say, all right, God, I surrender. I'm willing for you to come on board in my life and you to get me to where I need to be because I obviously can't do it. You notice once Jesus got on board, what happened? At once, the boat was at shore where they were heading. There's some interesting things here. You don't find the disciples speaking what they want to have happen. You know, that's a, that's a very common idea today in, in some, I don't know, you can't even call it forms of Christianity, things that appear as Christianity. That I, I can speak things, and they positive things, and they will happen in my life. I can speak power. You know, that, that isn't faith. There's no doubt the disciples, if that were an element of faith and that were something that could happen, what would they have done? On shore, right? They would speak that into existence and it would happen. Nowhere do you find that in Scripture. Speaking something of God's Word for our prosperity is not Scripture. That's not faith. What faith is, is trusting God and living God's Word out of our life. It's surrendering ourselves to God and understanding that He is Lord. He is Lord. He is control of all things beyond my control. And so I'm going to trust Him. That's faith. These disciples, they invited Jesus to come in because they realized they couldn't get to where they needed to go. But if Jesus came on board, they understood that he could. He could get them to where they needed to go. He could get them to what they needed to do. And I, and I love it because it doesn't say the disciples complained when they got on shore, even though they didn't land at Bethesda or Capernaum. They landed in Genesaret, which wasn't even mentioned originally as that's the plan. But they weren't like, hey, Jesus, you messed up. Hey, Jesus, this isn't the right town you told us to go to. Hey, Jesus, this isn't where we really were heading. You know what? They were just thankful that they were out of that situation. The promise of Scripture is that storms come on the life of the believer and the unbeliever. There are going to be storms. There are going to be rocky patches in life. There are going to be things that are going to be unpleasant, things that bring up questions and uncertainty. And we can pray for something to happen, but the reality is when God brings us out of that, it doesn't mean it's going to be exactly the way we think it should have been. They didn't land at the right town. They landed where God wanted them to be. 
And so you may be in the midst of the storm. You may be asking God to do something miraculous in your life to take this, this away or, or, or to, to help you see what he's trying to do. And God may do that, but when he does it and it doesn't match your or my plan, we can't resist it. God, that's not what I had on my map. That's not the way it looked for me. Just be glad that God is moving and working. And I believe sometimes we need those storms in life because, one, it humbles us, but also it makes us focus on who's really in charge. One more thing I want us to take away, and I want to use the aid of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 6, this event has happened, is recorded there as well. And at the end of Mark, in verse 51 and 52, Mark adds this, they, speaking of the disciples, they were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Kind of hit on that hearts being hardened. I mean, they were, they were blind. Again, Jesus didn't just feed the thousands, so, you know, he could say, well, I did that. There was a purpose. There was an intent behind it. And according to Mark and Matthew, the intent was so the disciples can learn something from that to prepare them from what lied ahead. Jesus knew a storm was coming on the sea. He knew the disciples would be out there and be stuck. He knew everything that was going to happen because he was God. And yet the disciples' hearts were hardened. They were blind to what God was trying to give to them and reveal to them in their life. And what we see is that when it comes to tough times, when it comes to storms, we need to reflect on what God has already done. There was something in that feeding of the 5,000 disciples were to get that were going to prepare them for the storm out on the sea. There was something they were supposed to learn in that moment, but they became so blinded, maybe because of what the crowds wanted, so blinded to maybe what they wanted or what they thought should be happening, that they couldn't understand what God was trying to teach them and tell them in that moment. Like I said, there are storms that are going to come in your life. There, there, are, there are things that are going to make your foundation. You're going to have to question, is it on the rock or is it on the sand? There's going to be unpleasant times that arrive, and those times come because it makes us have to stop. One, it has to, we have to focus on God, but when it comes to those times, we also need to look back. We need to reflect. The disciples need to remember, hey, you know what? Uh, Jesus told us to go, so we're just being obedient. God is always for our good, so there's no reason we should think Jesus sent us out here to die. He's got a plan for this. If he can feed thousands with just that little bit of fish and loaves, then definitely he can take care of us and get us to where we need to be. But they were blinded. Their hearts were hardened. And there's going to be times in your life you're going to doubt God's faithfulness. You're going to doubt God's love. You're going to doubt his mercy and his goodness and his grace. That's a part of life. It happens to every single individual. I will confess there have been times I have looked to the heavens and said, God, what in the world are you thinking? How could you let this happen? Why are you doing this? And I've become so blinded that this story, this life isn't about me. And God reminds me to look back and to remember what he's already done in my life to show that he is faithful. He is good. He is awesome. He is for me. The Bible says that at the end of this event, the people were excited about Jesus. But if you read on in John chapter 6, in less than 24 hours, in verse 66... It says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Less than 24 hours. 
They went for, wow, Jesus, you know, I love Jesus. How about you? To walking away. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter five or, or chapter seven, we, we dealt with this in Bible study, that the people were astounded at the authority of Jesus Christ and his teaching. And yet in three years, instead of being astounded in awe and, and, and reverence of Jesus, they were saying, crucify him. And here is the reality for us. Storms will come. Life is going to get tough. Uncertainties will arise. There's going to be times in life we are going to feel we are just stuck and we're not going anywhere. And when those moments come, we need to reflect on what God has already revealed to us. We need to reflect and remember what God has already said to us and the truth he's already poured into those lives to get us through those storms. We need to turn back to the rock. Last week, we had several people share about how God came and, and, and intervened in their life in the midst of the storm. When they got to that point, they had to throw up their hands and say, I surrender. God, I'm willing to let you come in and take. And I guarantee none of those people who shared were saying this was something I hoped would happen. This is a situation I hoped I would find myself in, where I would have to be completely reliant, reliant upon God and completely give up. But in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of those storms, when they gave it over to God, and when they allowed God to come onto their ship, he came on board and he took control of it. Then they saw the faithfulness and the love and the mercy of God. There's probably been times in your life where God has been so evident and so plain and so visible that there's no way you would ever doubt he exists. So when the storms come upon you in your life, and maybe you're in the midst of it right now, Reflect on those moments when God has made himself crystal clear. He's there. He's involved in your life. You may not be feeling it. You may feel like the disciples were at this moment just stuck, frustrated, aggravated, tired, wondering why, why God, why did you tell us to come here? Know that he's faithful and he's got a plan much bigger than ours and much better. Sometimes he's just got to get us to a point where we're willing to say, all right, I'm yours. I'm yours because I know what you've done for me in the past. I know how you've been evident, how you've spoken to my heart. And I trust that you've got a plan for me and you're getting me there. I just got to go through this moment so I'm ready for it. But you may be here today and you're just, your hearts are hard. You're blind to what God is trying to do in your life. He's trying to awaken you. One of my favorite psalms, probably one of the most, well, I got a lot of psalms I like, but probably one of the more famous psalms, Psalms 23. Lord is my shepherd, right? Even though I walk through what? Valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't sound pleasant. Valley means that 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 shadow, that darkness just seems all around. That's all they can see. They're in the valley. But what's the promise? You're with me. I will not fear because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're going to go through valleys. You may be on calm seas right now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, help those who are on the raging seas. Understand, no matter where you go, as long as we're aligning ourselves to the Word of God and the will of God, He's with us. 
guiding and leading us to get us to where he needs to be. The Bible <clears throat> lets us know that when Jesus gets on to the other side and the disciples get there, they get back on course and get back on ministry and everything isn't smooth sailing, but it's better than being stuck on the sea. I don't know where everyone is this morning. I guarantee you there are people here who are going through a storm in life right now, trying to figure something out, trying to get some sort of understanding. Maybe you're here this morning and you've just been blinded to the things of God and, and you're here just kind of checking out this whole church thing and God thing. Did you notice something important here in Scripture? The disciples didn't find Jesus, but Jesus found them. As you come to this place, this is, you may think someone else invited you. You may just think, well, it's a good day to go to church, or you know someone who comes here. But here's the realization. God has found you, and he's drawing yourself, drawing you to himself. The Bible calls this grace. We serve and are created by a holy God who knows all things, can do all things. Nothing is impossible with him. But we all struggle with sin. We all rebel. We all fall short of God's holiness and His perfection. We all try to steer our own boat sometimes and we get stuck. But because of Jesus, we can be forgiven for that sin completely. Jesus came to take our sin upon Himself, our punishment, our blame upon Himself. He's called the atoning sacrifice, the, sac the propitiation, which means Jesus basically moved us out of the way and let God blame Him for our mistakes. And the Bible says when I confess that, when I believe that God loves me that much, He is for me that much, and I confess that, I will be saved and be given eternal life. You may be here this morning and that's where you are. Life just not going the way you think it should go. You're just kind of stuck out there trying to figure it out. And God's brought you to this moment to invite you in a relationship with Him and allow Him to be your captain and your guide. But maybe you're here and you're in the midst of the pain and the struggle and the agitation and the aggravation and the weariness and you're just stuck. Would you be willing to come to the Father and allow Him to speak to you as Jesus cried out to His disciples, it is I, don't be afraid. And when He said that in that moment, He was letting them know, you can rest assured, I've got this. And understand that it is I. Some people believe that's Jesus saying for the first time in the Gospel of John that I am. I am the God who created you. I'm the God who loves you. I'm the God who's for you, the God who knows you, the God who wants you, the God who chose you, and I'm here. You're not going through this storm or this battle alone. I'm right here with you. Trust me. Maybe here this morning, that's where you are. You just need to come and kneel before the Father to soften your heart so you can see what He's doing. He's actively involved in your life. But if you're here this morning and and you've yet to accept Jesus, the Bible says you're already on the wrong side of eternity. But God wants to change that. It's not His will for your life. And He's inviting you into relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm going to be standing here. You just got to come on down and say, hey, Pastor, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. We'll talk and we'll pray. It'll be awesome. And God is good. All the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. <clears throat> Lord, thank you. It's very clear in your word that it's not always going to be smooth sailing. Lord, forgive us in those times we think that's what it should be. 
Lord, you tell us very clearly that in this world we will have troubles, we will have tribulation, but we are not to fear because you have overcome them. So Lord, let us as your people live in that victory in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain. Let us as your people hand over control to you so you can get us to where we need to be, not where we think we need to be, but where you need us to be. And Father, I pray for the Valentine banquet coming up. I pray for Wednesday Night Live. I pray for a vacation Bible school and, and Bible studies and small groups and, and worship. And anytime we gather in your name, Lord, that you would be front and center and we would be as your people remaining in you so we can accomplish what you want to accomplish through those events. Thank you for inviting us in. Thank you for allowing us to see how you're working. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling right now. I praise you that you know exactly what every individual is going through. You know the situation. You know the attacks the enemy is coming upon their heart. The enemy is trying to draw them and pull them away from you. Father, I pray that you just put a hedge of protection around their hearts, their families their finances, their work. Father, that you would just protect them, be their strong tower. That said, Lord, that they would, they would turn to you, be found in your word, and be living out your principles and, and, and applying your word to their life so that they can see that good and perfect will you have for them. Forgive me for those times I've gotten out of it. Try to do it my own way. Lord, we come this time just to lay it all at your feet, knowing that you are good and you are faithful. So be with us as we come to respond as doers of your word in this moment. I praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.